0: Welcome to Wild Tater, the food forest podcast. I'm Charles Hathaway, and today we're going to talk about the Swiss stone pine, also known as just stone pine, a Pine, or Austrian stone pine as well. And these all fall under the uh, species name Pinus sembra. Now this is an understory layer, but for reasons that we're going to talk about Uh, shortly, it could also potentially be a canopy layer. So, let's start with the cold hardiness because this is where it really kind of stands out. It is cold hardy to zone one. Now, that is extremely cold, down to negative 60 degrees Fahrenheit or negative 51 degrees Celsius. Some sources suggest that it is um, the most cold hardy tree known. However, I find other sources that suggest that, uh, the cold hardiness is zones three through, uh, through like nine, uh, I've, I've listed it as one to nine, uh, with the idea of recognizing that it's probably because in its native climate, in its native location, which is the Alps of Central Europe—Austria, uh, Czech Republic, France, Germany, Italy, Poland, Romania, Switzerland, Ukraine—mainly in the cold high mountaintops. And uh, you know, I'm kind of jumping ahead here with its preferred habitat, but it seems to enjoy those cold high mountaintops with wind, snow, and little competition. And that's the point there is that I think if it's given just the right, you know, soil, just the right amount of wind and all those other things, it will probably do well down to zone one. My guess is that if your soil is not its favorite, if your other things are not its favorite, then it's going to struggle in, say, zone two or one if it's not high altitude and other factors that it prefers in its native uh, native locations and and climates I don't know if that's true that's my speculation based on things that I can find about the tree it really seems to enjoy those those uh, places and if you're in a place that's you know, practically tropical maybe you're in zone nine like you know we again we listed this from zone one to known zone nine but if you're in zone nine and you're thinking to put this in the midst of your you know gloriously green backyard it may really struggle there it may really struggle Um, not that it's impossible Uh, plants never cease to amaze me what they can pull off and they also never cease to amaze me with how easily they can die with even seemingly the uh, best of <laughs> situations. But uh, the point is is that uh, you know, you're going to be safe trying to grow them in three. If you're growing them in zone one or two, then you're going to want to make sure you, uh, you provide all the perfect <laughs> other things as well. So let's talk about some of those other things. Soil pH preference is from 5.0 to 7.4, which is a pretty good range for, you know, an evergreen. Um, It does like those mildly acidic soils. Uh, Often mountainsides get those. I have read things that suggest that granite rock is something that promotes or that makes the soil become acidic. I'm not sure how that works. I'd love to know the chemistry behind that. But, um, so I'm picturing these rock faces, you know, uh, maybe some of them granite or other rocks that have the same effect, uh, creating these slightly acidic soils. And then, of course, once you get this pine forest, the pine will maintain its own acidity by uh, a f- slow, constant drop of, of its uh, needles, which we'll talk about again later, because that is a useful ecological function. Its watering needs are medium. It can tolerate short periods of wet soil, such as in a flood or something like that, but not for long, not for a long time. And it is drought tolerant. And again, like always, that's, you know, once it gets established and, you know, I've sometimes come across the question, well, when do you, how do you know if a tree is established, you know, when, when is it, you know, can can you recognize that it's established? And it's kind of hard to tell sometimes. I have had seedlings that are established within, you know, a year. and And they're just, you know, maybe an inch or two tall, but they are established. They are clearly established. And then I've had very large trees that have grown for several years that are not yet established. And the implication being that once it's established, you can ignore it and it will do fine on its own. It will take care of itself. Obviously in a forest, the whole system is established. So while there may be seedlings that are dying along the way, there are many seedlings that are quickly becoming established in that system. And they do that very well, which is one of the reasons that I try to encourage people to create a food forest. It does not have to be a multi-acre whatever. If you've got multi-acre, fabulous. If you've got a forest, fabulous. You've got a great head start. Now you've just got to get it to, to support the kind of species that you want in it. But uh, if you're just in a little backyard treat it like a little forest garden, a little forest in your backyard, and you can get it established. And this this idea of things becoming self-sustaining to where you don't have to worry about them. I've mentioned my apricot tree that I have never done a thing with other than pull bicycles off of it because my kids kept piling bicycles on top of this seedling apricot tree that was coming up voluntarily And uh, I finally put a little protection around it. And that's it. I don't water it. I don't trim it. I don't do anything. And it's about as tall as me now. And again, it's on a north facing, you know, north of my house. It doesn't get any water from me. And uh, it doesn't even get stuff dripping off the roof because it's right at that crook of the center. Where if anything drips off the roof, it's within a few inches of the very, very top most point. And so, you know, whatever water it's getting, whatever something it's doing to get what it needs, it's established. And to to stop it from growing, it would take physical effort to remove it at this point. Basically, you know, if your tree were neglected by you and it would die, it is not yet established. That's the idea. And if you've got a tree that's going to require Uh, attention throughout its life, maybe you're growing a tropical type tree in a very dry desert or something, there's a good chance it will never establish. Okay, so when we're talking about the Swiss stone pine, when is it established? Well, once it's good on its own. And, you know, most of the time, with most trees of different kinds, that's a few years in, and it's gotten some time to grow big because it's kind of a reflection of what's going on under the soil. You know, with how, how it's growing upward is probably kind of how it's growing downward. Not necessarily in the same shape, but in the same level of, you know, growth effort. And once you get some roots pretty deep and you're growing things that can establish in your area, they will establish. They will get to the point where you don't have to do anything and they'll do just fine. If, you know, assuming you got the right species and everything, which is what you want to do in a food forest. Anyway, I'm going on and on about this. I just mentioned that because the Swiss stone pine, as we will talk about, is a very slow grower. Okay, so um, its blooming season is mid to late spring and its harvest season is fall of the following year. Now some things listed as two years, I'm not entirely sure if they mean like fall of the second year after or if they actually do mean, you know, the next year, but then, you know, one and a half seasons later, which is, you know, going into fall instead of spring, whatever. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, just recognize that they do take a year and plus to, uh, to ripen and so forth. Their fruiting age is 10 to 12 years. These are kind of a long haul. You're going to wait a while for those first nuts. And even when you get those first nuts, they'll be on a little tree, which we'll talk about. Their average mature yield, once they are, again, mature, large, we're talking full size, which, have we talked about the size yet? No, we have not. Let's say 30 feet, okay? If, If it is 30 feet tall, Um, That is a fairly mature size for these trees. Um, And this is a little bit hard to measure just because they actually do get bigger than that in the wild. But they can get up to 8 to 23 pounds of pine nuts. And uh, I really went on a a lot of tangents on this in my research for talking about the Swiss stone pine, because there's so many little quandaries that I have found so interesting and, and also distracting. But, uh, and I hope not to drag you too far along any of those tangents, but, but, you know, we'll come back a little bit more about that. But let's just say that you get a big enough tree and you can get eight to 23 pounds or 3.6 to 10.5 kilograms of nuts per year their pollination, to get nuts, you're going to want more than one Swiss stone pine tree, okay? You want more than one Swiss pine tree because they do require that, and if they were grown from seed, which is the most common, I I gather probably the the most practical way of propagating them is by seed, you should be fine just getting more than one of them, They're probably not clones, they're not... Pines, uh, conifers in general, are not as easy to clone as many others are. With the exception sometimes of root sprouts, which some pine trees get. I couldn't find much to verify or, you know, suggest that they cannot um, get root sprouts. But uh, basically it comes down to seed so you know if you've got a couple of trees at least then they should pollinate each other and the more trees you have the better they'll pollinate each other their size at maturity is somewhere between 30 and 100 feet tall and then 15 to 25 feet wide and again that is 9 to 30 by 4.5 to 7.6 meters now i should mention that In traditional cultivation, when these are grown in a backyard, in a lot, in somewhere where they're being grown traditionally, stone pine tends to only grow from 30 to 40 feet tall. And so they, uh, you know, tend to be a little bit shorter of a pine tree in that sense. But in the wild of its native climate, in those high... Alpine mountains, where where the wind hits them hard, and the and there are you know on this you know steep stretch and so forth, they can easily get a hundred feet tall, and which is an interesting conundrum there if you're trying to figure out how to plan what layer this is going to be, except for the next. Uh, or some of the next facts that we'll get into shortly. But uh, just know that the more wild and the closer to its original climate that you let it grow, probably the taller it will get. Either way, they get big and they produce a lot of, uh, of nuts. And just recognize that for most people in, you know, domestic situations, it's going to be an understory layer rather than a canopy layer okay let's talk about sun needs it does want full sunlight though it can tolerate light shade i suspect because it's such a slow grower in the wild they do probably a lot of them spend a couple of decades in the shade or at least part shade three or four hours of solid sun a day is often enough to keep them happy and beautiful Um, but again you know once you want those nuts more sun it gets the better. Okay let's talk about its growth rate. It is a very slow growth rate for a tree. Um, 6 to 12 inches a year which is 15 to 30 centimeters per year. Sometimes even slower. In fact some sources uh, that I've found suggest that it's more likely to be at least for a while about 2 inches a year Uh, for maybe those first, I don't know, five, six years, and then, you know, those numbers will start to grow a little bit. Um, It kind of depends on how ideal the conditions are, but the uh, earliest years may be some of the slowest. And in general, you know, other than maybe that first burst of coming out of the seed and then kind of, you know, getting six, eight inches on I, I'm not sure these will get six, eight inches. If you've ever grown a pine tree from seed, they grow this little little stubble of you know three quarter inch tall tree um, that will just sit there for a year. and uh, and I suspect this is probably it could be even longer than that. I don't know, but uh, but being a slow grower as they are, um, two inches a year is pretty common. And so don't freak out. Don't think you're doing anything wrong. It's just a slow grower. And um, and yes, this is an investment into the future, not something that you're going to be, you know, taking nuts to the farmer's market for because you're just not going to have much if you're planting it from seed right now. It's It's just not going to grow fast enough for that. But if you, as it grows bigger, as it kind of reaches that stage where maybe it has a, pretty well established you know maybe not because of massive outward growing but because it's kind of adapted itself to the area and learned to find little you know inlets of where it can get the nutrients that it needs in its roots and so forth and and it gets itself established it will probably start growing faster you know up to that six to twelve inches a year zone just be aware that um it can sometimes take thirty years to get five feet tall. That's that's pretty common for it to take thirty years to get five feet tall. And at that thirty year mark it's producing, you know, uh cones and it's and it's making nuts, but you know you're getting five pine cones a year or something, you know. And and each of those pine cones contain quite a few nuts, so it's not like you're completely losing out. But this is a slow-growing tree. Just recognize that because... Um, it And it's an investment into the future because the bigger it gets, the more nuts it produces. And the more nuts it produces, the more this is like a long-term growing, you know, forest king, really. It has potential to be that. It's It, it, it can get quite big if if allowed to, like we've talked about. Now, remember what we've said about how... Um, trees in general, when they are slowed to grow during their early years, they are more likely to live long. This tree kind of personifies that entire idea because their average lifespan is 500 to 1,000 years. These are very ancient trees when they get to that full-size of, you know, whatever size it's going to get to, but uh, they can live 500 to a thousand years. Your tree that you're planting now may be there in the year 3000. So plant for that awesome future. That is so cool. Just don't expect to be, like I said, taking a bunch of pine nuts to the farmer's market, unless you want to plant 50 of them along, you know, a Property line or fence line or something, make yourself this big, long windbreak and and protect them good. And then in 25 years, you may have enough to start going to you know farmers market with the stuff you're getting out of your five foot trees and you know four foot trees that are each producing several pine cones full of nuts. You know you don't expect to take a lot, but you know your kids will be able to take a pretty good amount and your grandkids will be able to own the market in the area for pine nuts. So, you know, again, investment into the future. Now, obviously the uh, Swiss pine is in the pine family, pinaceae family, and they are, as mentioned, very cold hardy and very wind tolerant and, and hardy. They are a great wind break. And if you think about what's going on with slow growing trees, they are planting layer upon layer, year after year, just thickening that bark, thickening that, that trunk to the point where my guess is this probably is as close to a hardwood. I don't know. I'd have to look this up. But I'm guessing this is as close to a hardwood as a pine probably gets, is maybe what you get from the Swiss pine. Um, just because anytime you grow a tree that slowly, it's going to have a really thick trunk, which means that as it's growing to that 30 foot height, it's got a really firm, strong trunk. You don't have to worry about wind, um, being a serious threat to it. You know, we've, we talked a few weeks ago about the, uh, Korean pine, um, how it can make a windbreak as long as you, you know put them up against each other to support each other it i have my doubts that that's necessary with the swiss to- stone pine simply because they are such slow growing uh, strong windbreak trees so um, you know but then you might want some layers just because of their pollination process which is wind pollination means you know, the wind blows the ones in the front, and it throws the pollen onto the ones in the back, and, you know, wind goes all directions, but if you know which way your wind tends to come most often, you can kind of plan for that, and make, you could even make a, you know, bowling pin of uh, a line of trees, if you want some serious pollination going on, but again, these are massive investment into the future, so, so, um, you know, it's going to take a couple of decades to find out if you're even going to have uh, a pine forest there with your uh, Swiss pines. (laughs) Now, one thing I wanted to mention, and this is one of the tangents that uh, I find myself getting into with regard to evergreen um, mulch. Many people have heard, um, and, and you can find this on the internet, that uh, if you need to acidify soil, if you need the soil to be, to have its pH lowered, um, then you can throw pine needles on to lower the pH of that ground. And it does do that. The The needles have a low enough acidity to, uh, that they will leach some into the soil, as well as any time it rains or snows, that, that water will kind of steep some of that... Uh, uh, acidic pine uh, oil into the ground, which will, in turn, acidify the soil somewhat. However, you may also, if you research that that uh, idea deep enough, you may also understand the mythifying of that idea, um, and you'll say, no, it doesn't do any good, doesn't do any good. And the reason they're saying that is because just placing pine needles there will acidify the soil. And then those pine needles will eventually dry out. They will become as neutral as sawdust eventually. And, and so their acidic properties will go out and the, uh, the acidity in the soil will you know, dwindle over time to the point where it's as if you never you know, put anything but sawdust there or, or wood chips or something. Which, mind you, is is still you know if you're in a really high alkaline area, putting wood chips, even sawdust, hay, whatever, will lower it some. Um, but uh, but the the effect of those pine needles wears off with probably within a year, and so it's not a good long-term solution. It's a band-aid. But and here's the point that that I think a lot of people miss when they come across the idea of pine needles being a myth. If you want there to be a continual flow of pine needles somewhere, all you've got to do is plant a pine tree there. If you can keep it alive long enough, it will grow up and it will be dropping about a third of its needles every year, sometime between summer and and late fall into early winter, you know, that second half of the season, when it's starting to cool again, um, they're going to be dropping about a third of their needles every year, which means a mulching of pine needles. Now, obviously the freshest pine needles, the ones that are freshly grown, would probably be the most acidic, but it's still better than, uh, than just placing your own bucket of pine needles every year Um, in that spot. If you have a pine tree there, you can create this acidic soil around them simply by having this slow continual flow once a year of pine needles falling from the pine tree. Now the reason I bring this up here is this tree has a the unique element of being such a slow grower that it is going to essentially be like a pine shrub for the first few decades of its life and in a few decades there are few plants that you would grow under a pine or you know that, that you would need that acidic soil for um other than trees which you don't want it competing with other trees like we said it doesn't like getting shaded out. So as long as you're planting things around it, let's just say you've got a three foot tree and you're planting herbs and so forth around it that are three foot or smaller around that, what's going to be a pine bush for quite a few years, um, then as it grows up, they will live out their lives They will have children who will live out their lives and then their children will begin to dwindle as your pine tree is just starting to get big enough to start shading a few things. So when your your pine tree, your swiss pine anyway, is 10 years old, those blueberries that you planted around its base, it's their children's children that are there. Now to be fair, if you have very alkaline soil and you simply plant a Swiss pine there and wait a couple of years for it to get a little bit of shape and then put in a blueberry after that, it's not going to be enough to acidify the soil ongoing. You're going to need to um, do something to treat that soil for a while. It's it's kind of a, a rough dance when you're talking about blueberries in alkaline soil. I, I don't recommend that until you're your pine trees are big enough that pretty much you walk around and it just looks like pine needles on the ground and that's like all there is. It, you know, you, you have to dig down to find the dirt underneath. Once you get to that point, go ahead, try try the blueberries. It just might work. But mostly we're talking about other berries, you know, gooseberries, strawberries, things that, that love a little acid in their soil but don't necessarily require it. it just It just helps kind of thing. So, that those are good things to plant around your your tree. In fact, uh, as long as your uh, Swiss pine is, you know, at least six inches tall, um, let's say, assuming that you got it at a, a nursery or ordered it bare root or something, so it's probably, you know, six inches to a foot tall already, um, then uh, planting strawberries around it is a great idea, just because they will benefit from the, the little bits of... Uh, pine needles that fall, and they will, you know, perpetuate their own growth and kind of create a ground cover around them that will provide a little bit of protection from other taller things growing in it. It's not perfect, but but it's, it's not bad too, you know, uh, strawberries or any other ground cover, maybe some ground cover raspberries, something like that. They'll benefit, but they don't need the pine needles in order to survive. So, You know, anyway, my point is, is this could be a good tree to plant as a pine needle dispenser over time because it's not likely to shade out those shorter acid loving plants uh, before it's too tall to be, you know, uh, before they grow up and die because they lived out there 20 years and now you're your pine tree is is just about to get big enough to start shading it out more than it would like at that point hopefully they've spread outward so your so your patch has grown beyond what the uh where it's reaching anyway so if if there's any silver lining to this very slow growing uh process uh, maybe that's it i don't know (laughs) i did find a little graph on the on the uh, swiss pine that shows that in, in a area in Austria called Obergergel, o- Obergergel, that's what it looks like to me, Obergergel, Austria, It uh, where it was growing 500 to 1,000 feet higher, the speed of growth increased. Not massively dramatically, but we're talking about, you know, over 30 years, the uh, difference of about a foot and a half average now that sounds like no big deal at all but remember this is the swiss pine it grows very slowly (laughs) if you're in a higher altitude it may grow just a little bit faster so if you're in a really low altitude it may grow considerably slower who knows i mean (laughs) this is this is stuff to keep in mind as you're considering what to put in your system and You know, as you're thinking about trees to put out there, if you've got some spots that maybe get some water, but they're just so out there and it's windy and dry and, uh, you know, at at different times of the year, and you need a windbreak there, but you just can't get anything to grow well enough to to grow out there, you might want to try a couple of Swiss pines, see how they do if they last a year or two, put some more in. You may find that that those lone pines out there actually like it you know, you could try. It sounds like they might have potential for that. One other point that is kind of a non-point because it kind of cancels itself uh, that I wanted to make was that uh, some sources list this as being a fairly deer-resistant tree. Other sources say it is not deer-resistant. <laughs> and I'm kind of left to wonder, well, which is it? And my suspicion, I don't know, but I suspect, with its slow growth, it's not always necessarily that it is growing six inches in any given direction. But perhaps, or, or sorry, two inches um, in any direction. It could just be that it's only growing upward two inches, but it's that it's growing outward closer to six inches. So it it maybe looks like a bush for a while. You look up pictures of this tree. And it almost seems contradictory because you see these bushes that look like a, some kind of hedge bush or something, and then you see these Christmas trees that are you know ten to you know thirty feet tall, and then of course you've got these you know jutting taller ones that are the wild ones and so forth. But I'm like, well, are they a bush or are they a you know a pine tree? I mean, it, and and it makes me wonder if maybe some of the growth that they experience on a yearly basis is outward. And if they are growing outward like that, and they get this kind of thick base, I should say wide base, then that may provide some deer protection, not not assurance that they won't get you know nibbled on. Of course, they'll get nibbled on their pine trees, but being wide enough, the deer are likely to just you know nibble those edges and never go for that trunk where they're going for the the trunk cambium and so forth that's just beyond the bark that they use to strip away the entire tree and kill the entire tree, which as anyone who lives in a rural area with deer um, know that that is the biggest threat that deer have, just killing trees, not just chewing them off the uh, leaves or, or nibbling off the tips, but also chewing the bark around the base, making it have no way to get nutrients and it dies. That happens with so many kinds of trees, with people of, of many age trees too, old as well as young. So, if they can't reach that easily, then it's fairly deer resistant. Not proof. I, I don't know a plant that's deer proof, but, uh, but this may make it deer resistant, which suggests that it probably depends on the tree's shape as it grows older if it's nice and thick at the base as it's growing so it looks like a a nice hedge but uh, far enough you know thick enough or wide enough so that the deer can't really reach that that center um, growth point um, then it's likely to be fairly deer resistant if however it because of deer trimming it or because of Uh, you know, where it is or whatever, it's growing more stick-like straight up, then it's likely not to be very deer-tolerant. Okay, that was another long tangent, and I'm sorry about that. But uh, let's just talk briefly about the nuts, okay? Now, we talked about how it can grow 8 to 23 pounds, which is 3 to 6, or 3.6 to 10.5 kilograms, of nuts per year. That is based on a loose mathematical equation that I came up with based on the uh, the statistic I found that they tend to produce between 80,000 and 21,000, sorry, 80,000 and 210,000 nuts per year. And even that was a calculation based on a number, how many pine cones they tend to have, and how many seeds there are per pine cone. So it's like at every level of that calculation, it's you're getting into unknowns. Um, the uh, source that I found, which is the Plants for a Future website, seems to have the most uh, precise numbers for yield, and uh, they are... 1,000 to 1,500 cones in a year, and each cone contains between 80 and 140 seeds. And also, beyond that, you know, considering what size are these cones, I mean, these uh, nuts, are these just like the nuts that you get commercially? And what I found is that they are a little over half the size of your quintessential semi-large pine nut that you would find in your grocery store. Um, but you know, every bit the flavor, every bit the, the good use and so forth and use it in the same recipes and everything like that. But because they're close to half the size, I have to estimate those 80,000 to 210,000 nuts being about half the size of, of pine nuts. And then you figure how you know I found calculations that's showing how many pounds a uh, uh, 10 nuts are 100 nuts or whatever and then figure all that out and it comes to 8 to 23 pounds I suspect it's probably significantly more than that if you have a tree that's more than 30 feet tall Um, and obviously if you've got a hundred foot tall tree there's probably considerably more but it's not likely you'll ever be able to reach those higher <laughs> cones in time uh, before the the cones pop open. As we've discussed, when you are harvesting pine cones, you want to get them while they are green, just shortly before, a week or two before they would pop open, um, where the seeds will fall out, the, uh, the chipmunks get them, everything else gets them, and they start to dry out. It's, it's when, you know, you want them fresh, so you uh, pull them out while they're green. Um, or at least not uh, not popped out yet. Um, if you look at these cones, they're a little bit dark, so they may not actually look all that green when it's time to take them out. I don't know. But the point is, is that um, you take them out before the cones pop open. and um, And you can get quite a few nuts out of them. Now, I would like to emphasize that while pine nuts are not as common a nut or food as as some other kinds of nuts, like peanuts or, or uh, walnuts and so forth. Um, and yes, I recognize that peanuts aren't a true nut, but bear with me here. <laughs> but, you know, just as, as they're not as common, yet they have incredible potential. And part of the reason um, that they are not as commercially well established and out there... Is because the harvesting is more of a hands-on thing than it might be with something like peanuts or walnuts or something where machines can do a great deal more of the work. I think it's just a matter of time, and they will get to that point. I mean, I mean, we're we're getting close with with uh, machines to be able to harvest just about anything. So once they get to that point with pines, I think it will start to take off. Of course, it will take a few decades to get those pine trees to that we realize whoa this is a real serious market here let's get some pine trees going to take a few decades to get them all growing uh, in the quantities that they grow other crops but they are an incredibly nutritious and delicious nut and people are totally aware of this um, because there are recipes out the window uh, for pine nuts and uh in case you've never heard of recipes using them uh, because yes, you can eat them straight, fresh or roasted either way. But uh, here are some recipes that call for pine nuts. Um, I'm just going to list the names of them. Rustic lemon tart, grilled red mullet with charred onion and pine nuts, pasta with sausage artichokes and sun-dried tomatoes, pomegranate glazed chicken with buttery pine nuts, pignoli cookies, uh, broiled red snapper with za'atar salsa verde, pasta with 10-minute pesto, chickpea crepe tacos with eggplant and lamb, pine nut and white bean dip, honey nut squash with radicchio and miso, instant pot Italian chickpea stew with pesto, cilantro pesto, shredded Brussels sprouts, and ricotta toast, chicken Caesar salad with crispy kale, dorade with potatoes, and burst tomato sauce, radish yogurt with pine nuts. Okay, I'm, I think you get the picture. I'm looking at a website or a, a, a web page On a website that says our 45 favorite pine nut recipes and i also find another one that's the 20 best pine nut recipes and these were just the first two links that i got when i searched for pine nut recipes Uh, and and it just goes on and on there's pine nut ideas 35 phenomenal pine nut recipes and and then of course there's you know telling you how to toast them, telling you how to dry them, telling you all this stuff. It's a, it's a well-established food item. It's not as popular yet in the United States, which is one of the reasons that you gotta get a lot of, of uh, recipes that sound a little foreign to Americans, maybe. But uh, the point is, is this is not just an up-and-coming food. It is a very well-established food. And and something that we probably should be trying to grow more of. And, and I'll I'll just say uh, here sometimes as an acid test of of seeing if this is really an established food, I'll just pick a random thing to see if they've made a recipe out of it using this thing. And and I thought, okay, well, what about pine nut donuts? Is there such thing? First page, salt and pepper pine nut donuts recipe. What? Okay, what? I mean, oh, here's another one honey glazed donuts with raisins and pine nuts. Frosted donuts with pine nuts. I mean, honey glazed donuts with raisins and pine nuts. There's every different kind of pine nut donut, in case that is any kind of indicator to you (laughs) whether this is a food worth having. Now, to the question of, and I'm sorry that this is an extremely long podcast episode. I try to keep them 15 minutes-ish, but I think this is worthwhile because of the, you know, sponsoring pine nuts. I I just feel like this is something, it is a food of the future, and one that for so many reasons we should be growing, most of which I have mentioned already. But let me say this. These long-lived, albeit short or slow-growing trees are some of the, let's just say they are. They have potential to be the climate saviors. When we're talking about, you know, where are we going to be in 100 years? We're, we're obviously not going to be back to the 1500s in terms of how clean the air is. There's just no way. It's going to take an active, proactive, not just stopping our carbon emissions and all that stuff to to stop the damage that we're doing but we've reached a point of no return where if we were to just turn off all our devices and cars and vanish from the planet with them and leave the planet just the plants and animals and whatever uh climates to themselves we have still rendered much of it you know damage to the point of irreparable damage it, it's going to take human intervention to fix the uh, the entire, you know, ecosystems of the earth. And not not to necessarily put them back exactly as they were 500 years ago or whatever, but but to make it a better place for every inhabitant, human and otherwise. Um, we need to fix the earth. And one of the major parts of that is both retreeing the earth and also re- replenishing the air. And these long-lived trees do so much to do that. Now, some people suggest that, well, yeah, they kind of do a lot while they're growing up. And then once they reach mature size, they kind of stop because they're full size now. That's not exactly how it works with trees. In fact, a better analogy would be comparing how much a toddler eats to how much an adult eats okay the adult clearly eats far more than the child does far more or even an infant you know but let's just go with toddler because they are at that really you know uh, energetic growing they're kind of established in this world they they can function to some level on their own you know they're kind of we'll we'll say that's compared with a small but established tree Okay, They're like a toddler. They can now walk around on their own. They can get their own nutrients as long as they're available to them. Okay, This toddler eats, I don't know how many pounds of food a day or whatever. but if you compare how much an adult eats, I mean it, it, there's almost no comparison that the adult is eating five, six, ten times sometimes as much food as that toddler. Now, the argument goes, well, once they reach full height, they don't eat as much. That is true. And so, to make this analogy complete, we have to look at how teenagers eat. Let's say a 17-year-old, okay? 17, 18-year-old kids are eating probably the most that they will ever eat in their life in a day. They're eating probably twice as much as their 50-year-old parents or 40-year-old parents. That is Normal. Now you could argue that um, the parents eating um, is not as good as the teenage eating, therefore, once they're big, they're not really doing any good anymore, as far as you know, back to our analogy, the amount of of uh, carbon that the trees are taking out of the air. Oh, yes, they are. And those young trees that are not yet established are about doing about as much for the environment as your corn crops, your potato crops, your the the traditional annual vegetables that they're doing, because they're about the same size, expending about approximately the same amount of energy as those ones. And then, of course, the trees come back the next year. And then for a few years, they're just acting like toddlers, or, you know, doing as much carbon help as the the corn and the and the beans, and all those things. And then they reach this teenage state, where they suddenly, whoom, and they take off, and they are doing phenomenal things with pulling carbon out of the air, and uh, and, you know, refreshing the ecosystem around them, and all this stuff, just doing these amazing things. And then they reach maturity, which is the adult stage. And then, at that point, when they, you know, cut back on how much carbon they are taking just like the uh, 40 year old has cut way back from what they ate as a teenager to a state where they are one tree one tree let's just say a deciduous tree is doing about as much as a very large crop of corn or beans or whatever every year that's one tree taking up this 50 foot round space you can't fit the amount of corn and beans in a 50-foot space that a tree can be doing every year. You just can't, you can't do it with smaller crops. It's a three-dimensional globe of photosynthesis taking place, not to mention all the uh, carbon uh, mulch that is being dropped year after year after year, that is rebuilding the soil and the ecosystems of the earth and, and everything, you know, covering that bare, sterile ground and so forth, and turning it into a giant forest that this world really is intended to be, or at least uh, lives at its best when when there it is mostly forest. Let's say 80% forest across the entire planet that's that's the ecosystem that is going to make the place healthiest. My point in bringing that up is, when you've got say an apple tree that reaches its maturity at maybe let's say 20 years, it's it's full size, it's producing these mass apples, and it continues for maybe another hundred years if it's a really good uh, old type apple tree, and in that hundred years, it's doing a lot of good to the ecosystem and so forth. Now, take that and multiply it by the size of these ancient trees that we're talking about here. The uh, the uh, Swiss stone pine gets between 30 and 100 feet tall, three times bigger already than the uh, up, up to three times bigger, I should say, than the apple tree is doing, and living for ten times longer. So it's doing ten times, times three times, thirty times more than the apple tree is doing. So you've got this corn plant that's doing, you know, maybe even a little patch of corn the size of, uh, you know, the width of an apple tree, doing X amount of good. Then you've got the apple tree that is doing Exponentially more than that, and then you've got this uh, Swiss pine that is doing exponentially more than that. You see where I'm going with this? It's it's this idea of investing not just in the food of the future, which it is, and not just the shade and you know structure of the future, but the entire planet growing and maturing. We better, in a thousand years, have at least a few of these ancient pine trees that we have planted today. If we haven't, then what we've got is something younger. And that could be fine, or it might not be enough. Just like any distribution of human population, you've got to have all those age groups. If you have one cut out, if you get to the point where there's not really anybody over the age of 60 you start having serious problems in your economy, in in your your structure for you know how to deal with people as they get older because we don't know it's been so long since we've had them or whatever. It you know you need all those different age groups and if you want really truly ancient trees in a thousand years, we've got to plant them today. And what a legacy to leave. I mean that's just it's just cool. Your backyard pine tree could become one of those trees that is still there in a thousand years. And again, at the risk of extending this on and on and on, you know, many people are going to say, yeah, but I'm going to plant it there and then, you know, people move and people, you know, when, when their parents die, they sell off their house and, and then somebody else gets a the property, they chop it down because they just want, you know, this nice green lawn there or whatever. And, and so anything we're planting today may just be gone in 20 years anyway. Well, that is certainly is a risk and it's possible. However, if there's one thing that I've seen that have stopped people from leaving, it is planting food forest type landscapes, partly because they're so hard to come by. If you want a food forest, they're hard to find simply because they take so long to establish and and there's so much work. Second, because they do take so much investment in time and in the life of the individual plants getting bigger and bigger. I mean, you can't buy a you know, 150 foot tree, you can't buy them that way and not have it survive anyway. If you want one, you have to grow it. You have to, you could start with a 20 foot tree, which are hard to come by because they're so big, Uh, but uh, it's got to get there on its own. And so what people are doing is when, as they start establishing these food forest landscapes that they're in, they don't want to leave. In fact, they don't want to leave so badly that they don't want their children to leave the premise or at least they want the, it to stay in the family or they want it to somehow be protected because it's it's almost like imagine Leonardo da Vinci spending his whole life working on one big massive mural that that could fit in a you know uh, multiple football stadiums area just a you know say a a 10 acre painting let's just say he may be 90 before he's putting that last stroke of paint on, but he is not going to want that to be lost. He's not going to want to say, "Okay, now you can sell it, hundred thousand dollars. You're good." You know, it'll probably be bank owned in another generation, and then be torn down to uh, become a parking lot for a Walmart or whatever. We just we value it too much. When once we see the value that it adds to our lives, to have a food forest or something similar. You know the, this forest gardening type structure is just so valuable, and uh, and so people stop leaving when they get to that point. My point being in that is that I think that culture of staying in a place until it's you know either job change or or till it's not convenient to live there anymore, or we want something smaller, we want something bigger, whatever, we just up and move. That culture of Of uprooting ourselves every couple of decades or whatever is probably going to go away once we see the value of these things and I think they kind of saw it in previous generations the pioneer generations and so forth because they were doing these plantings and so forth but they for the most part did not yet know the value of an actual food forest over a food um, crop You know, they they plow out forests and so forth to grow corn, grow whatever. And there is great value in that for certain, but when you have a food forest, it goes way beyond even that because it continues to feed for generations. This is a tree that instead of, you know, giving your children a fish, it's not just, just giving them a fishing pole, but it's allowing them to have fish for the next thousand years, even if it is just, you know, pine nut fish. But I digress. Thank you guys so much for listening.